message today. We pray that um, you would speak to us, Lord, through your word. Please um, show us a clear meaning in it, that you would, um, that we would ever be um, drawn closer to you through um, the study of your word, through um, through our prayer, and through all that we do, Lord, that we would just seek to draw closer to you every day. Amen. This morning we'll be continuing in the 12th chapter of Matthew where we started last Sunday. And uh, I'll actually, this morning's scripture will uh, pick up uh, the last verse that was uh, shared by Levi last week, uh, verse 8, because yeah, this ties everything together through the chapter 12 uh, series. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Keep that in mind. That was Jesus responding to what the Pharisees had said when he and his disciples were going through the field and uh, picking grain. And, and by the way, people say, well, how would they eat it? Well, they, they would rub it together. I don't, I'm always amazed when some people don't know that you can do this. They rub it together and it's kind of on it and... You blow the chaff away, and there's the little kernels, and they're they're really quite delicious if they're near harvest time. Uh, and uh, the uh, that's what they were doing, and uh, they were con- uh, really condemned by the Pharisees of of breaking the Sabbath. I want you to understand that eating the grain wasn't the issue, per se. They could eat on the Sabbath. What do you think was breaking the, the, the Sabbath from the Pharisees' legalistic point of view? It was harvesting and preparing. Okay? They, they, had, they were harvesting and, and chafing or, or, or clearing out the, 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 the wheat. And that's work. And, and, and so uh, those things, uh, if you know, the, the, the Jewish... Uh, law, and, and not all of the law is out of the uh, Torah. Many of the, 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 the laws that the Jewish were uh, obeying were laws that were in addition to the Torah. But some of it was also misunderstanding. And, and that's what Jesus will be driving at as well. And uh, so... Uh, you know, I'm not going to go over, Levi did an excellent job at, at putting that together, but he concluded his statement with them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That is an extremely powerful statement. I, uh, some people don't understand he, what he's saying. He's saying, if, he, if he's saying I, not the, the temple, he's already said he's greater than the temple, by the way, in this passage. He says, you know, not the temple, not not the the high priest, not the I am the Lord of the Sabbath, making me the Messiah, the one in charge. They knew exactly what he was saying, and uh, so as things were going on, you can start to see that the Pharisees were probably going to be following after Jesus, 
trying to see if uh, he was going to do any more outrageous things as far as they were concerned. And that's where we pick up in verse 9. Jesus went on from there and entered into the, uh, in, entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. What an interesting reaction to something miraculous. This Sabbath confrontation was, again, having to do with uh, what was okay to do on the Sabbath. And this case was healing okay on the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue, by the way. He's gone with, on into their synagogue. And you notice that they point out, as this man with a withered hand comes forward, and if you put all the gospels together, you'll actually find out that Jesus basically called him out. But they initiate the question, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then what's the, what is it that they're saying this for? Because you notice it says they want to accuse him. They're trying to accuse him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? By the way, I I have to say, I find it amusing. If they're asking if it's lawful to heal, and they're talking to Jesus, they are making an interesting assumption. Whether they mean to or not, they're making the assumption that He could do it. Which already is putting Him in contrast, making kind of a declaration that He might be who He says He is. But they're, they're determined. Because he has made himself the Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to understand, this is really what has upset them. Not, even the, not so much the grain, not so much, but that he made the statement, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And now they're looking to, to, to find something to accuse him so that they can discredit him, so that they can make his teaching invalid. You know, it was an interesting thing. I, I was uh, reading something online, and we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, this year, New Year's Day fell on Sunday. And those of you who are Rose Bowl Parade fans were probably thankful because the parade didn't happen during church. It happened on, on Monday morning instead. And I'm, a, I'm an old Cal Poly grad, and Cal Poly Pomona and Cal Poly San Luis Obispo uh, uh, worked jointly together through the engineering department at Cal Poly and the, and, and the horticulture department at, at, at uh, Pomona. And they worked together and they, they, they build a float every year and they, are, they always win some trophy. It's always fun. And so I'm always there waiting for my alma mater, you know. And, and uh, so, it, but it wasn't on Sunday. And I, I, I vaguely recall, it wasn't that long ago, it was several years ago, but still that it wasn't, that it happened before. So I went online 
and said, basically, just why no Rose Bowl on Sunday? Well, back in the 1890s, when the Rose Bowl started, and the parade was before the Rose Bowl game, the game didn't come until the early 1900s, uh, the the, uh, parade had all sorts of, you know, horse-drawn vehicles primarily and stuff, and any of the churches in the area had tethered horses for people who were attending church on Sunday. And so they considered that and said, we don't want to disrupt Sunday services. And so they have adopted a policy called never on Sunday. And to this day, it's still there. Now, what is interesting was the comments on that particular page, which was how outdated, how ridiculous, you know, you know, in other words, it, it, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything today. There's no horses tethered. We don't have to worry about that. And in other words, the parade going by a church cathedral isn't an issue. It was, you know, we're not going to disrupt their horses outside. And that had been taken in consideration by the, the Rose Bowl committee several times over the years as to whether to discontinue that. And they decided to abide by it. But it, it, it's, it's, it's just interesting that when you when you look at, at at the idea of of something becoming you know what do you do for instance on Sundays you know uh, and we're going to look at that today uh, they were abiding by what used to be called kind of a Sabbath law or actually the terminology was blue law and what that was was laws that prohibited anything to happen on Sunday to varying degrees in some states. There's no commerce on Sundays. Used to be. You know, in some states uh, today, to this day, you can't buy alcohol on Sundays. In Pennsylvania, I think it is, you can't buy a car on Sunday. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, anyway, you know, so, you know, we can get set and turn around and, and, and get legalistic about things too. And I thought that was interesting because it's kind of parallel. This is where the Pharisees were. They, they were taking into the extreme things that, 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 that were, were not the, the way it was intended. And so Jesus, he's going to be pointing out, you know, he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Let me show you how it works. And I'm sure Jesus knew what was coming next. And is because he... Like I said, pointed out the man with the withered hand. But they took immediate advantage of that. And they said, can we heal on the Sabbath? The answer to that comes up as we, we go through this. Remembering they were wanting to accuse him, to, to, minimize, to make minimal his, his impact. By the way, the other side of that, what I was, was just talking about is, is that people are trying to marginalize the church's influence on our culture. So those who are opposing Never on Sunday are at the other side of this. They're, they're, it's not like they're, they're, they're making sense of that either. And uh, I can remember a time when we didn't do church on Wednesday nights. Uh, I mean, we didn't uh, do football practice on Wednesday nights at the high school because church had Wednesday night services. We had a, a short, you know, uh, athletic workout, but, but, but we didn't do a regular practice. You know, so things change. And uh, that's kind of where the Pharisees, again, they're like, they don't want this change. It's a disrespect of, of the, our traditions. Pavia in, 
the the fiddler on the roof traditions you know uh, being and not all of them laws of uh, of 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 the the torah itself but traditional things that they had come to live by so the pharisees anyway coming to this uh jesus uh introduces if you will a a little parable uh and says uh that you know he says which one of you and it's important the wording here which one of you who has a sheep. Notice it's not sees a sheep. Has a sheep. Ownership is important here. Okay? You could have easily just said, which one of you who owns a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not grab hold of it and lift it out? Well, the answer was everybody knew what the answer was. That you can do. Now, the lamb or the sheep may not be in any immediate danger, but it was still okay to do that. Okay, so it wasn't. There's not a sense of urgency here as much as, oh, the poor little lamb, he's suffering. Let's pull him out of the pit and help him out. And it also happens to be my lamb, and I'm concerned about it, possibly for various reasons. So I have a lamb; it falls in the pit. Would I not pull it out? Sure, you would. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into the Sabbath will not hold it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Simple, and pair, you know, to him was just a simple logic argument here. If a sheep is this valuable... Man created in God's image, and that would be something that would automatically be reflected here. I mean, it's, you know, that's every Jew knew the, the scriptures and, and all of this. And he's thinking, you know, how much more valuable is, is, has God shown man to be than a sheep? It was, it was a, a very logical progression here. They didn't, he didn't wait for them to say, oh, well, I guess that makes sense or anything. He says, he says you'd pull out a lamb, a man's more valuable than a lamb. Therefore, it's right to do good on Sunday. He just came up with the whole argument. This, this, therefore. And so he says, therefore, in a sense, let me, you know, stick out your arm. Show your arm. Bring it out here. And it was healed. It was no longer withered. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. By the way, the terminology there too. Because he is what? Verse 8. The Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that determines what is and is not what? Lawful. He's making a clearer statement yet about his authority and who he is. So Jesus heals this man. But the Pharisees' response, verse 14 But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And this destroy him is a very intense word. You know, to destroy. And again, it's not because I know Greek, but I know I have a Greek dictionary. Uh, To destroy, put out of the way. to abolish, to ruin, 
to put an end to. Now, there's a lesser value to this word also, which means to make worthless. So, some people still take the stand. Well, what the Pharisees were saying here was they were trying to uh, make, again, bring down Jesus' teachings as a flawful thing and, and he would lose his followers. But the word, generally speaking, in its use in the New Testament and in other places, is more intense than that. So the implication here is they were mad enough to do that initially. They wanted to accuse him. Now they want to what? Destroy him. I want you to see that progression. They've already got their their hackles up. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now he says, I control it. Here's the proof. I'll tell you what's legal on it. These are the Pharisees. They're the ones that do that. The scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of the, of the, of the temple, and the, and the leaders of the synagogue. Now, there is a question, you know, it's kind of a side issue here uh, for us today. Uh, are, uh, are we to keep the Sabbath? Do we keep the Sabbath? And uh, I've been asked that by some people intending to lay a trap and others who were just wanting to seriously know. Um, I, I'll read a scripture first to you, chapter 2 of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Keep that in the, the back. You know, uh, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and different things. In other words, there's something that Paul's alluding to in reference to the, 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 the Sabbath and that the fact that they are actually, it, it, it's uh, reflecting or, or the substance of it actually belongs to Christ. The reason why I wanted to pick that particular scripture was, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I just made, showed you I'm in charge because the substance of the Sabbath rests in him. Okay, And so Paul shows that to be true as well. Uh, and in Romans 14 also talks similar to that. The idea was, uh, as, especially as Gentiles were coming into the church, what to do? Did they have to become Jews first and, and abide by the Sabbath and the Sabbath laws and circumcision and all these other things? And the church in uh, Jerusalem and the apostles gathered together and some of the people from the outer churches got together and they had a, 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 a church conference and uh, they, they came up with the uh, idea that that no, you didn't have to become Jewish. There were a couple of things, and you'd have to go to you could just go to Acts, uh, I think it's chapter 15, to read that. But, but, but there was a couple of things they, they said to abstain from. But Sabbath law was not included in the picture. I think that's important to note as well. So, do we keep the Sabbath? Is the question, and it's a valid question. You know, God set the example of the Sabbath. In Genesis, it says he created everything, and on the seventh day, he what? Rested. When he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus, I think it's the fourth commandment, he says keep the Sabbath holy and rest on that day. And so much so that if you picked up extra food 
on 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 uh, Friday to uh, yeah uh, 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 how is it? any other day but Friday, uh, it would perish. You wouldn't need it. They, you know, they were fed by manna and, and quail and stuff like that. It would perish. But if you you were allowed and told to pick up extra food on Friday before the Sabbath begins, and it stayed okay. So it, it was resting from your works and labors, but also a teaching of how to rest in God and His provision and trust in Him and that He will see you through. So they were, you know, this was part of the Jewish law and, 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 and it was part of the Scripture. And like I said, today we, we get into uh, different times in the Restoration Movement, some of the Puritan movements. They got very legalistic about what you could do on Sunday, including working. In fact, how many of you had to read Johnny Tremaine when you were in high school? Boy, look at all of us. You know, but some of us are younger and older. That's an interesting thing. Uh, Johnny Tremaine was a story of a, of a, uh, a revolutionary war uh, time. A young boy who worked with a silversmith. Guess who? And, uh, and he was working, guess when? On a Sunday. And the, the silver fill... Uh, spilled on his fingers and deformed him. And uh, that was his just reward. You see, he shouldn't have been doing that. And, it, you know, it was one of those things, that was the way it was thought back then. You know, you don't do anything. God can, can be very stern about this. And he might, you know, if, if your, your field goes bad or your, something else happens, it's because you're not keeping the Sabbath right, you know. Uh, and they had transferred the idea of the Sabbath to when? Sunday. By the way, Sabbath means the seventh day of the week. It's, it's, it's tied to Saturday. But they transferred it to the idea of Sunday. And uh, the Lord's Day is what we frequently call it. But other, other people will say the, the Sabbath day and refer to Sunday too. And so in the 1600s, 1700s, there were states as they were forming, passed all sorts of laws. Again, they called them blue laws. Uh, I'm not exactly sure I didn't go that far with it. It had to do with things, shopping, working, drinking, <laughs> entertainment. There were towns up into the, the early 2000s where you could not go to a theater on Sunday because they were closed. It was the law. So you can see you know, this idea, again, that we can establish these things and become legalistic about it. And for most of those people, don't even know why. Other than it, it's one of their days off for the week and, you know, <laughs> I, I can't enjoy it. <laughs> so it, it, it's confusing and it can be. Are we to keep the Sabbath? Jesus said he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm not going to go reading it this morning it would, and, and get into it in depth. But it talks about Jesus being basically the Sabbath rest. And on through chapter 7, uh, that he's the great high priest and a number of things that go with it. And pointing out how Jesus has fulfilled so many various laws that he is the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. Do we need to go back to the temple and sacrifice again and again and again now? No, we don't need to do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the final sacrifice. 
Now, if he's the Lord of the Sabbath, if the Sabbath is, is actually in him, and if, if, if he has taken care of things, and we say, have him as our Savior, the whole thing that Hebrews is pointing towards is that Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he, oh, and, and, and he is the Sabbath rest. So that if you are in Jesus, you are actually resting in Jesus' works that have been completed, and therefore you no longer have to do anything about the law to save yourself. The law has been accomplished. It's been finished. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. Do Christians keep the Sabbath? Yes. We actually do. Every day. 24-7. We keep the Sabbath because we rest in Jesus Christ. Our Sabbath rest. The Lord of the Sabbath. The one who is the substance of the Sabbath. And so the answer to it is, is actually, yeah, we do keep the Sabbath, but not the way of the Old Testament. We do it through Jesus Christ and his salvation and his work. Back to 2.14, uh, the, the Pharisees are, are up in arms uh, trying to uh, figure out now uh, a plan to actually destroy Jesus. To, to, and so Jesus... It says, moves on. Let me read this next passage to you, uh, starting with verse uh, 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he beheld them all. They ordered them not to make him known. He healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I had chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and his and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Taking the last part, verse 14, that we were looking at, they're out to destroy Jesus. They're rejecting him in a very final way. And the acknowledgement of a prophetic picture of the Gentiles will hope in Jesus. It tells you where Jesus is transferring here. He's no longer just going to the Jews. He's opening the door. Okay? And, uh, you know, I, I, I look at it and, 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 and think in terms of, again, how radical that would be for the Pharisees to hear and I'm sure some of them were still following after him and in the crowd listening to everything that he was saying. Uh, but Jesus, it says, has, has, has gone out away from where he was and he's still healing people. And then he says that to fulfill this prophecy. And the prophecy uh, in, in Isaiah uh, is that you know, it says part of it says, for instance, that he's not going to be crying out. He's not going to be lifting up his voice in the street, or he's not going to speak loud in the streets. This is a picture of him not bringing any defense for himself. Or he's continuing to teach. He's continuing to think, but he's not going out to the streets and 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 pointing at the the, the Pharisees and the scribes and stuff and putting them down or defending himself. He's being silent. This is extremely important to grasp this picture because this is the starting in Isaiah of the suffering servant concept of Jesus Christ. 
He didn't go out and make a defense of himself. He let what God was doing through him and what was happening be his defense. He didn't have to go out and, 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 and condemn. Now, does God ever call a prophet to do that? Ask John the Baptist when you see him face to face. Yes, there are times where God called. There's are people that God called to stand on the street corner. But the suffering servant wasn't one of them. He was come with a particular agenda to show the works of God, to reveal himself as the Son of God, and to, to, to be rejected, and taken to the cross, and supply the perfect sacrifice, the only one that could do it. And be our hope. So he withdraws, continues to heal, but he's keeping quiet. And it speaks here of a bruised reed and a, uh, a smoldering wick. And like anything that's, that's not well defined, some people look at it and say they can see two different pictures possibly here. The bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks, could that have been the Pharisees? They're, 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 they're broken, they're, their fire is almost out, but, but they're not uh, completely hopeless yet. And Jesus isn't confronting them. Or could it be the bruised and, and, and the, 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 the small glow of fi- a little bit of fire left be the people that Jesus is going to reaching out to and ministering to and building up? <laughs> and I say, okay. Meaning, either one shows his compassion, shows his mercy. Uh, I, I tend to go towards the, the uh, first one where he's not attacking them, uh, but, but others go the other way. And, and I think either one works perfectly well. That's the interesting thing about this. And, and the, the bottom line is that Jesus isn't going to look at somebody and, who's already broken down. And, 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 on, and broken reed means it's kind of like it's on its last leg of being able to stand. And he's not, he's, even though he has the just right to, he's not going to go back and knock it down all the way. Not now. It's like they, they still have time. He, he's not going to put their fire out. He's not going to judge them. He did not come. And he said it. I haven't come to bring judgment. I've come to bring peace. What kind of peace? Peace with God. For all men. So what we see here is a picture of Jesus quietly, even though I'm sure it wasn't quiet as far as the people. I mean, we know from other stories when he asked them to be quiet, they went out and told somebody. Uh, you know, but but the and 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 I, I always think of the uh, one song. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody what Jesus did for me. Uh, I'll say for, uh, no. Uh, can't think of his name now, uh, but. Uh, Anyway, uh, it's, it's that idea of I just I can't bottle it up. I've got to tell somebody that Jesus has done something for me. Um, but it concludes, this passage concludes with the reality that he's going to proclaim justice to the Gentiles in verse 18, it says. And some people mean, you know, thought, well, does that mean he's going to bring judgment on the Gentiles? He's going to proclaim judgment. In other words, I think he's going to proclaim the justice of God and how it works. And, and because of what happens and because he is the quiet servant 
and the one who ultimately goes to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, the suffering servant, that because of him, the Gentiles have hope. And not, they don't have to become Jewish to have that hope. <laughs> they have hope in the Lord of the Sabbath. They have hope in the one who holds the laws of the Sabbath. He, they have hope in Jesus Christ. And I, I'm, I would assume probably the majority of us in this room are uh, of Gentile heritage and thankful. In his name, the Gentiles will have hope. Can you hear the, 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 the uh, Pharisees kind of saying, wait a minute. Is he putting a different twist to what we believe here? Because they wouldn't extend it that way. They wanted the Gentiles judged and judged now. Especially the, the Romans. But the Greeks uh, too. And the Assyrians. And the Assyrians and the, and, the, and the Middle Easterns. All of them. They wanted them all judged. The Phoenicians on the coast too. Don't leave them out. They want them all judged. Yesterday. They're going to have hope. And Jesus is, in, you know, Lord of the yeah, You can see him, I, I think, wrestling to put this together. But do you realize that the Gentiles from the very beginning were to be blessed? From the moment Jesus talked about hope and, and, and promises and, and, and to Abraham, he was including the Gentiles. He told Abraham very clearly, in all the blessings that I'm giving you, the Gentiles will be blessed too. Very specific about it. We, uh, Paul speaks of it in Galatians chapter 3. You know, it's, it's very clear. The hope for the Jews, uh, Jesus is the hope for the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, again, this, this quote from Isaiah chapter 42, uh, by the way, starting in the 18th verse, says, Behold my servant. He's a servant. Okay, that's why I, I, I wanted to draw attention to this. It's, is it, it points us to Isaiah uh, 52. And uh, just turn quickly, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 52. A lot of times when we, we look at the suffering servant chapter, we look to chapter 53 and we leave out some very important verses. And so I want to go to chapter 52, uh, starting for the, with the 13th verse. And chapter 52 is talking about the fact that... that, that God's salvation is coming. The Lord's salvation is coming. And in chapter 52, Isaiah 30, verse 13, says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely uh, or, or, or shall be successful in his, what he's supposed to do. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at your appearance was so marred. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. What do you think they're referring to there? His trial, his scourging. His form beyond that of, uh, 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 that of the children and, and, and of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they had not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's talking about the Gentiles, the kings, and those people being and coming to understand. Jesus is the hope of the Gentiles. All of chapter 53 goes on to explain you know, that he was pierced for our transgressions. All the things that happened to Jesus. The question comes to, to us, again, if, if, if we see this and we see Jesus as the Sabbath rest, do we rest in Jesus? And it starts with, do you know Jesus as your Savior? That's where it starts. And it's not about how good we are. Pharisees thought it was you had to establish a righteous good track to get to heaven. And... and no matter what we do, we're still sinners and we still need salvation. And anything we do is not enough. Even the offerings that God ordained were nothing more than a turning them over until Christ came. How many offerings need to be made today for salvation? None. Not since the cross and the word that is finished. And so... What Jesus has done, we turn around and we see and we realize we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. We need to be uh, judged. And anybody who says, you know, you know, I want what I deserve, oh, be careful with those words. I deserve this or I deserve that. Or we even have a mental picture sometimes of what we deserve because of the culture we're in or whatever. The only thing we deserve is the wages of our sin. And if we rest in Christ, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that He is the Lord, that God sent Him for our salvation, and we rest in Him with that, it's covered and taken care of. The wages of sin is taken care of. The free gift of God, Jesus Christ, is ours. We are at peace with God. Peace has been made. We're no longer enemies. We are children of so many different things that tie into this. When we come to communion this morning, uh, you know, we, we need to, to see Jesus, the one who came for us, uh, you know, all through history, we have seen people who rest firmly in Jesus Christ uh, go through seasons of persecution. Even in this world today, there are places where to declare your faith is to declare a death sentence as well. And uh, we are so amazingly blessed, and I think sometimes a, 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 a little bit um, casual with our blessing um, that we, 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 don't, we don't understand how, how blessed we really are. And the freedom that we have to come and to go to church, to worship, to sing, to carry our Bibles, to read our Bibles, to carry our iPods and, and have Bibles on them or our, our other electronic devices, uh, iPads, there we go, uh, and, and things with the Bible right on them and stuff like that. And uh, Other parts of the world, they, they, they don't go that. They, they might have fear to do that. And in some places it might even lead to their arrest or, and persecution and or death. And so, uh, we are blessed. We have a hope in Jesus Christ that we should put a value on. You know, we may not be in the position of the sheep and the, and the withered hand and, and placing values that way, 
But I guess what I was trying to get at is what is the value you place on the hope in Christ that he's given you? And when you read the back of the bulletin and the Roman road there, you realize what he's done. What's the value to you for that? Well, it's everything. Is it not everything? And how do I keep the Sabbath? I rest in Jesus. How? Sundays? No. 24-7. He is my Sabbath rest. Let's go to communion. And uh, I ask the ushers to come and pass out the emblems. You guys come up and, and, and uh, lead us. And uh, hold the communion until we've all been served and we'll share it together. Cross, I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son, who drank the bitter cup prepared for me. And your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Sacrifice have been brought near. Your enemy, you've made a friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace. Your mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, and now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. to 
washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. We frequently refer to a communion table, the Lord's table, that we are sitting at the Lord's table, and that's the song, you know, we've come to, we were enemies, and now He's brought us to His table. The table that represents His sacrifice, represents the words, it is finished, represent His resurrection, because all of it is tied to this. In our communion, he says, "I want you to to share the bread as the body of my life, uh, my body, and I want you to share the cup as my shed blood, and I, and I want you to do that until I come again." And he told us that he wasn't going to share this with us until that time. He wasn't going to do this again until that time, and then he would share it with us. So until Christ returns, the hope that we have, and it's not a wishy-washy hope. I don't. It doesn't rain today. <laughs> it's it's. It's a, a, a hope that is steadfast in His completed promises, in His completed work, in the work that He has done. And we can rest with confidence. And as we rest in Him with confidence, we can also have that confidence that as long as, you know, He says, if, if you have come after Me and you seek after Me, if you've rested in Me, there is nothing created in this earth that can separate you from Me. What a powerful blessing and confidence to have in us. He asked the uh, disciples on the night that he was betrayed at the meal that uh, after he had blessed the bread and given thanks for it, and after he'd broken it, he gave it to each of them. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And he asked that as often as, as they would do this and share this, that they would do this in remembrance of him. And at the end of the meal, they took the, the, the cup and, and uh, lifting it to them, he simply said, this is my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant. What covenant? The covenant that brings peace with God. The fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ. In every way. He is our Sabbath rest. Let us do this in remembrance of Him. Father, we thank You that we could come to You this morning to open Your Word. We thank You for Your Word. We rest with confidence Your Word is God-breathed. And as we read it, we realize that uh, understanding comes with growing in You as well as the Holy Spirit working in us to reveal to us what it says and through us working together and worshiping together as we have this morning and sharing together to understand Your Word. I think one thing is clear this morning. You came to save us. And You accomplished what was needed to do that. And as we rest in You, we have salvation. What a way to start a new year and to think about it in that sense, Lord. You are our great hope. Not just something to wish for. You are our great hope. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we